I would like to begin by acknowledging the Wajak Noongar people, the traditional custodians of the land on which I record this podcast, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples here today. And welcome to the Post Party Project. My name is Amy Heinrich and I am your host. Join me as we chat all things postpartum, celebrating the highs and supporting you through the lows. Everything pregnancy and birth is just such an exciting time, but often chats about postpartum experiences get missed or overlooked because everything's about the baby, which we are also totally here for. But I'm here to hear you and hold you, figuratively speaking, and to listen to your experience. Think of this podcast as your safe space to share, vent, cry, laugh, and know that you're not alone. Now, let's get into it. Hello, welcome back to the Post Party Project. I am sorry this episode is coming to you a week later. I do try and get them out weekly, but last week was just such a blur. We had our um, wedding celebration on Saturday. So all last week, I feel all my spare time was just jam-packed with appointments. And we also had a public holiday on the Monday. So Ivy wasn't able to go to daycare So I lost a day where I would normally work there, which is fine because I actually love having her at home anyway. Um, But yeah, you probably know it's very hard to get things done with a toddler. Um, But yeah, we had our wedding celebration on Saturday. If anyone hasn't listened to my solo episode where I did a little catch up with what's going on, when we found out I was pregnant, we decided to just downgrade our wedding celebration and we just decided to elope like sign the papers and then we so the plan was on Saturday morning we met at a location and had photos done family photos and some couple photos and then after that we had booked a lunch um out in the Swan Valley for anyone who knows WA um, which was so nice lunch was at 1 30 and it went until about 5 30 it only went so late I think because they were quite short staffed um, but it was actually really good because we had just our immediate family so both of our brothers on both sides and their partners and my nan and pop so my pop is 99 he turns 100 in July. (laughs) So it was really special having my nan and pop um, be able to be there as well. Um, And then after that, we went back to Jared's parents' house and everyone had a few drinks and kind of stayed around till about 7.38ish. And then, yeah, oh my God, I was so cooked after the whole day. It's just such a big day. I am done with doing any just anything. I think (laughs) now while being pregnant, I'm just happy to hibernate for the rest of my pregnancy. Um, But in other news, I mentioned in the solo episode that we put an offer on a house and we were just waiting for finance, but we got accepted. So everything's gone through. We will be moving into our house very soon. So that's also super exciting. So as well as organizing everything for our wedding day and having all my appointments. We've had so many documents that needed to be sent off and just so much stuff that comes with purchasing a house that has just been 
hectic. Um, we also leave for Queensland on Friday. So we're having two weeks in Queensland for our honeymoon, which will be so good. We're so excited. We, um, yeah, if you listen to my solo episode, you'll know that we've been living with our parents, both of our parents. We kind of jump back and forth houses. Um, so we're just so excited to have some time, just me, Jared and Ivy as a little family. It feels like it's been so long and we've got this, we're we're staying at this epic resort in Palm Cove and yeah, I will update everyone on Instagram. If you don't follow me already, make sure you jump over to my Instagram page. It's at the post party project and I will be doing my best to update everyone. I'm really trying to get into the hang of updating everyone more. It's like, I'm just like, I get caught in the moment and forget to photograph or video things but I love following other people's stuff like I love the authenticity of just like what people are up to in their lives (laughs) I'm not sure if that makes me lame but yes I really love it so I'm trying to do that more Um, but anyway I'm going to stop rambling and get into today's episode so today I speak with Caitlin Um, You may know her from her Instagram page at Pelvic Floor with Caitlin. She's a physio, a mother and a wife, and she's the founder of the Pelvic Floor Project. So Caitlin also just had her little baby girl. When I interviewed her, she was, I think, 37 weeks pregnant. Um, She has since had her baby girl, Luna. So if you jump over to her Instagram page, you can catch up with everything that Caitlin's doing. She is sharing some great information on exercises that you can do after birth. Um, We also chat a lot about that in today's episode. So also wanted to mention that Caitlin is incredibly passionate about pelvic health and her goal is to help women feel strong, powerful and in control of their own health choices through targeted education. Caitlin joins me on the podcast today and we chat all things pelvic health. We discuss what is the pelvic floor and it might not be what you imagined. (laughs) The way Caitlin described it, I found really interesting. Uh, We chat about Caitlin's first pregnancy and what she did to prepare for birth. We chat about what happens to our pelvic floor through pregnancy and birth, uh, what we should look out for postpartum with our pelvic health, how common prolapse is and what the signs are, when and how do we return to exercise after a baby and so much more. Um, If you enjoyed today's episode, I'd love it if you could jump over to Apple iTunes or Spotify and leave me a review. That would mean so much and help me to get into the ears of other mamas who might enjoy this information. Um, And yeah, make sure you're following me on Instagram. And if you ever want to come on the podcast and chat about your own postpartum experience, I would love to hear from you. But yes, let's get into today's chat. I'm so excited to be joined by you today, Caitlin, to talk all things pelvic health. So thank you for taking the time to chat with me today. No worries, Amy. Thank you for having me. So I would love to know a little bit about yourself, um, what you do for work and who's in your family. Yeah, so my name is Caitlin. I am a physiotherapist by trade and have been a physio for 10 years and the last half of my career I've dedicated to women's health, specifically continence, birthing, postpartum, but sort of continence through the lifespan. I run a business with my husband and I also work publicly. So I work for the public hospital in my area in Western Sydney two days a week and my hubby and I own a private practice out in West Northwestern Sydney called the Hills Physio. 
So I do a little bit of business management and a little bit of seeing clients privately there too. Uh, so yes, I'm in Sydney in New South Wales on the other side of the, the country <laughs> currently <laughs> to you. Um, and I am living at home in Northwest Sydney with my hubby, Sean, who is also a physio. We have a strict no work chat at home, although he breaks that rule all the time. <laughs> and we have a two and a half year old boy, Loki, who definitely lives up to his name. He is definitely the god of mischief. And we shot ourselves in the foot by naming him that. <laughs> and I'm currently pregnant with my second baby and sitting here 37 weeks pregnant, actually, with lots of pre-labor pain. But that's OK. We're here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Especially thank you for sitting through that for me. <laughs> oh, that's OK. Um, it's nice to be busy and do yeah. things. Oh, So have you just gone on maternity leave? I'm still working privately, um, but last Friday was my last day in the hospital system, which is exciting. Oh, amazing. Um, yeah, so I feel like I've got so much to chat with you, especially about your pregnancy and what you've personally done to prepare your pelvic health. Um, but first, would you be able to explain to anyone who doesn't know what is our pelvic floor and why is it important? Good question. Lots of people, I think, they think of the pelvic floor as this sort of it is, it's abstract, right? It's, you can't see it. People talk about it, but a lot of people actually don't know what it is. The pelvic floor is really this umbrella term that people give to a lot of muscles that sit at the bottom of your pelvis. So if you think of your pelvis as like this bony bowl in between your belly button and your legs, and this bony ball at the bottom to make sure nothing falls out and to allow things to enter and exit is all of these little muscles. And they saw if we oversimplify it, they form two layers. One layer is on the outside and one layer is very deep. And all of these muscles make up our pelvic floor. And on top of it, if you imagine it being like a trampoline floor, on top of it sits your bladder at the front. If you're female, a uterus and vagina in the middle and your bowel at the back. And men have pelvic floors too. They just don't have the opening for the uterus. So the role of the pelvic floor being in nature where it is, it holds, it has a role that it plays when it's on and working, but it also has a role that it plays when it's off and relaxing. And I think that's the key thing to think about when you think about the pelvic floor is I think a lot of people oversimplify this muscle in their head as like this little tiny circle that exits mm. your vagina or stops you from wetting your pants and it has to be strong. But I think that's probably the biggest myth that we get told because this muscle has to be coordinated. It has to squeeze at the right time, lengthen at the right time and know when to do like what is the right time to do those things. Mm. So it's um it's definitely more complex than that little tiny muscle that people have in their mind. I would love to, you know, how they do these things where they you get two or three or four year olds to draw something, you know, you say, draw me a tree or draw me what you think mummy looks like. And they draw this thing and you're like, that is not even close to what I look like. <laughs> I would be interested to get lots of women everywhere to do a, a task where they draw the pelvic floor. Cause it would be so interesting to see pictorially what people are thinking it looks like. Oh my God. That's so true. Because even when you were saying that, I didn't even think like that explanation was so good. And now I've got an image in my head of what it looks like. But before that, I literally thought it was like this tiny little thing that you'd have to like squeeze and then not squeeze, like how you hear to do it at the traffic lights or whatever. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> do your Kegels? Like that's kind of, I think what a lot of people relate um, in their brain to that. <laughs> what it is. Yeah. So Kegel, and pel if we talk about pelvic floor exercises, Lots of people use the term Kegel and pelvic floor exercise interchangeably. And Dr. Kegel is, real, is a male obstetrician, an American male obstetrician who coined the term Kegel. Um, such a male thing to do, right? Name mm -hmm. a female mm -hmm. exercise. 
over his last name. But anyway, he, um, a Kegel just refers to squeezing your pelvic floor. Okay, yeah. Um, and I think what you were saying before, where that holds all of our like um, organs, our reproductive organs, it makes sense then when you're pregnant, how it starts to just like, I feel like you can feel it feeling heavier as you grow. For you personally, how is your pregnancy with your first? Yeah, like were you, do- you were doing this a while before you got pregnant? Your, yeah. Yeah. So what did you do to prepare for that? And, and how was your pregnancy? So Loki was a pleasant surprise pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say that um, tongue in cheek, but also understanding that lots of people have heaps of trouble falling pregnant. So I'm very aware of that. And I work in the industry, work with women who struggle to fall pregnant. And also, interestingly, not struggle, but spent a long time trying to fall pregnant the second time. So I've had seen both ends of the sword. But yes, Loki was a surprise. So I wasn't you know, I was healthy and well, but I wasn't planning to become pregnant. Um, and when I fell pregnant, the sort of things that I do and did in my pregnancy um, mimic very similarly what I would do with all my clients. And I also went and saw a women's health physiotherapist in my pregnancy to have all of my pelvic floor checked, both internally and externally, as well as how my pelvis is functioning to try and prepare as best I can for birth. So Loki's, I was very lucky. Loki's pregnancy was quite straightforward. I wasn't high risk. I ended up doing a obstetric model of care in my public hospital. So paid a private obstetrician who I knew very well um, and delivered in the public hospital that I work at. I actually really wanted to be on the shed, like the MGP program, but there was an ultrasound study found in me years and years ago that showed I had a funny shaped uterus. Um, We call it an arcuate uterus. And that apparently automatically makes me high risk on an MGP caseload. So the midwives wouldn't take me. I was very upset and very hormonal and crying a lot. (laughs) I ended up, you know, having a very great experience with my obstetrician. I, you know, if we fast forward to birth, I was able to birth vaginally um, without pain relief. I liked the water, but I got out of the water to birth Loki on my hands and knees um, and was lucky enough to come away with um, no stitches. Mm. However, that is you know, I did a lot of work to prep my pelvic floor and Mm. myself mentally and physically for that birth, but also completely understanding that I was very lucky, maybe the wrong term, but it was the right situation. Loki was in the right position. He was a good size, his head circumference and his length and his weight was average. He didn't have his hands up near his face when he came out and crowned. um, And I had a very supportive team around me. In terms of what I tell my patients and what I did specifically in my pregnancy to prepare my pelvic floor, um, I had an appointment with a physio around that midway through pregnancy mark. And at that point, we have a look at the pelvic floor and we see how strong it is, what it does at rest and how easily it can squeeze, but also how easily it can relax. And then what my pelvic floor does when I try to push, because interestingly, there's this population of women that we call um, co-contract they're called co-contractors and they co-contract their pelvic floor when they're asked to bear down. So you'd get them to push like they're pushing a baby or a poo out and their pelvic floor, instead of lengthening and relaxing, squeezes in response to that. And that's something that they do subconsciously. We usually see that happen in women that have long history of pelvic pain or endometriosis or chronic constipation. Um, So in pregnancy, we would screen for that to make sure that I'm not doing that. And then the physio would teach me and make sure that when I push, I'm doing the right thing and my pelvic floor is relaxing and lengthening. Mm, I did lots so of birth education as well. So yeah, calm that, birth. Yeah, um, that is so interesting. So um, a lot of women, who they probably wouldn't realise that they have that because I don't feel like it's a routine thing that you get told to do throughout your pregnancy when you go to your GP. 
So what stage of pregnancy do you recommend doing that? Um, and can you go if you're like almost due? Like if someone was like yes. hearing this now, yeah. Yes. Because I think it would be such a great thing to know because if you go in there and then your vaginal birth might not be what you'd hoped for and you didn't even know that your pelvic floor was doing this. Yeah. So it's actually probably only in the last five years, five to 10 years that we've had much research around how, what our pelvic floor does in this pregnancy um, and how it acts can impact birth outcomes. And we still don't know what the answer is in terms of best treatment and whether or not we can predict who's going to have a poor birth outcome based on their pelvic floor. But there is some information emerging um, and lots of physiotherapists. So women's health physiotherapists would do both an internal vaginal exam and an external vaginal exam to help ascertain what your pelvic floor is doing and if we could make it better. The best time to do that would be around 20 to 25 weeks, but there is never, it's never too late. Mm, so interesting. Do you have um, like a list of recommendations of people that people could see Australia wide? Do you have like that <laughs> anywhere? So I, don't person, I don't personally, but there are, um, there are two pages where you can gain access to that and I'll send it to you after this and then you can pop it up okay. in the show notes and yeah, that sounds we can make great. it available for people. Yeah, yeah, because I know people listen, yeah, all around. <laughs> it's so difficult, right, because you get this information of women might be listening to this and they think, oh, my goodness, great, but I have no way to access a women's health physio or I've seen a women's health physio and they didn't do this because mm. it's not, you know, it's not standard practice. Mm. Yeah, like I said, the information is still coming out and some physio, women's health physios are great at helping you with your pain in your pregnancy but aren't trained to do internal vaginal exams during your pregnancy. So mm. um, there are, you know, it, the access to the physio can be difficult. But my advice to women that don't have access to women's health physios and are pregnant is to just understand as much as you can about the pelvic floor as possible and know that squeezing it isn't the only answer and we want to be able to relax. And you can practice that relaxation and that lengthening whilst you're doing a poo. Like you get practice all the time leading up to it. And if you know that you have those risk factors for co-contracting, so if you think you might be somebody that probably doesn't relax very well because you've had a history of lots of pelvic pain, you can't use tampons very well, sex hurts, you have endometriosis or you are chronically constipated, then it might be worthwhile doing some more research into how to relax your pelvic floor just yourself, you know, reaching out to some women's health physios online and saying, hey, look, I definitely don't have time or access to you before I give birth, but can you point me in the direction of some information on pelvic floor relaxation and preparing to push or something mm. like that? There are lots of online programs. And um, if I can remember at the end, or if Amy, you want to remind me, I can send you through some resources for people that don't have access to therapists because it's a luxury. Mm, yeah, definitely. That Yeah, sounds so interesting. That's stuff that I didn't even realise and you hear so many traumatic vaginal births and it just makes me think, like, I wonder if a lot of women are experiencing that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what actually happens to our pelvic floor throughout pregnancy? Does it like, is it obviously under more pressure? Um, does anything happen, anything else happen to it? Like, can it get weaker or yeah. Yeah. So lots of stress on our pelvic floor during pregnancy. We actually don't have a lot of really good evidence or information on specifically what happens to the pelvic floor from a stiffness or morphology point of view. So if we look at actually what happens in every point in time in your pregnancy, but we would assume that the hormones during pregnancy, the way they act on other parts of the body would also act similarly to the pelvic floor. So everything gets a little bit more stretchier. Its ability mm -hmm. to um, withstand load reduces, so it becomes harder. 
And also on top of that, you have an increased load. So we know that one of two things that put your pelvic floor at risk of weakness or dysfunction is constipation and weight gain. And they're both things that happen very typically in pregnancy. Most people will put on weight around the abdomen in pregnancy and most lots of people will have trouble with hard stools in pregnancy. And so both of those things long term play a part in putting more pressure and stress on the pelvic floor. Mm. So we can't say technically, we don't know whether or not the pelvic floor weakens in inverted commas, um, guaranteed over pregnancy, but we know that it's under a lot of stress. And Mm. we do know that pregnancy alone can also be a risk factor for this muscle having giving you problems in the future, regardless if you have a cesarean or a vaginal birth, Mm. but especially if you have a vaginal birth. Mm. So with everything that you have done, um, even throughout this pregnant, or actually, no, we'll go back to your first pregnancy. <laughs> um, how was your recovery? I also see that you do a lot of, um, like I see all your exercises and stuff that you post on Instagram. Like are you, yeah, how was your recovery? Do you do that right up until you're due? And then does that help with recovery? Yeah. So the pelvic floor work that I did leading up to birth was a combination of pelvic floor muscle training, so strengthening, Um, And strengthening involves the squeeze action of the pelvic floor, but also the relaxation action of the pelvic floor. Um, And I think people forget that, right? We think um, we we know it for other parts of the body. You know, if you're doing a squat, you would come down into a squat and then stand up again and you would probably stretch your glutes before or after you did a squat session. Um, And the same is for the pelvic floor. But I think we forget that the translation between it being a normal muscle and it being this weird abstract thing inside of our bodies. Um, So, pelvic floor muscle training looked like squeezing my pelvic floor and holding for a certain amount of time, say two to three seconds before relaxing and trying to lengthen as best as possible with my breath and working through the strategies I learned through calm birth, but people might learn them through um, hypnobirthing or just through any of the birth courses that they've done. Um, Perineal stretching, so manually using my fingers to stretch and massage through the perineum and practice pelvic floor relaxation whilst doing that. Um, And then push prep, so understanding how to best generate tension using my tummy muscles Mm. and my diaphragm, my breathing muscle, to put pressure into my pelvic floor and lengthen through that in preparation for pushing. Mm. Um, And so that's, yeah. Oh, I was going to say, is that something like, can you do that wrong as well? Like, is it best to see a physio so you're doing it right? Yeah, definitely. There's lots of things that you can do wrong. And I think you if you don't see a physio you can also trust that your birth provider or your midwife might be able to give you cues on um you know how to generate those muscles or how to generate that pressure but the hard thing is in the thick of transition and second stage of pushing anybody that's done it if that's the first time you're hearing about how to push or how to generate pressure or where you should be generating pressure it could be really hard to take on that information those cues Mm. and I know lots of people will not cue pushing. So lots of people don't want to push in that second stage. Um, and they do a lot of breathe the baby down, which I can see that can be helpful. But I think if you're a fit young female who's never given birth vaginally, there is a lot of stuff, pelvic floor, muscle, there is a lot of connective tissue and fascia and ligaments in that area that your baby has to descend through. Mm-hmm. Even myself personally, having witnessed birth and having been present in birth and having been followed women before and after birth, mm-hmm. I definitely um, underestimated the power to which I had to give and the effort I had to give in my second stage to push. I don't know how you felt in your oh, birth. No, I, had, I ended up having a C-section, but um, I am interested in trying for a vaginal birth in the future. So I'm, I find this stuff really interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, but in, in response to your question in terms of um, 
exercise as well. Yeah, I was in my, very lucky in my first pregnancy to exercise all the way up to birth and then my recovery mm-hmm. um, was pretty standard. I think I love what you're doing in this space of fourth trimester because I think my recovery was probably hardest because I was anxious and had all these overwhelming feelings that I couldn't identify what they were at the time. Um, and looking back, you know, I don't know if it was postpartum depression or anxiety or what it was, but it was a very, very tough time mentally for me. And I think that impacted my physical health, but Mm. not because of a lack of physical preparation or my body wasn't doing what I needed it to do. Mm. It was just overwhelming. And so more more chats around this postpartum period is definitely what I would love to see. And I love that you're in this Mm. space. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like there are so many elements to postpartum as well, which I find like this chat so interesting, Um, like especially because I think that you can let your physical health, um, well, I don't know, all of your health kind of disappears when you're just like yeah. sleep deprived because you're just trying to keep the baby alive. But yeah, what do we need to look out for postpartum with our pelvic health? Are there any yeah major things that we need to, or even minor things that we need to keep an yeah. eye on? The biggest thing, if I could, if people only walked away with one piece of information thinking about for their postpartum and their pelvic floor, it's constipation. If you've had a cesarean or if you've had a vaginal birth and you get constipated and have to push really hard using your tummy onto your pelvic floor, that's going to impact your pelvic floor health. It's going to impact pelvic floor healing, particularly if you've had an episiotomy or if you've had a third or fourth degree perineal tear. But even in the absence of that, you've got all this open wide space and these weakened muscles and ligaments um, and you have the potential to push things further into that space or weaken muscles that are already weakened. And it's something that you can prevent, right? Mm-hmm. I would tell, and I do myself, um, postpartum to all my patients to take a stool softener like Movicola Osmolax every day for the first six to 12 weeks, just yeah. to avoid the chances of becoming constipated. Cause it's one of those things that once you get constipated, unless you smash yourself with laxatives, which you don't really want to do either. You don't want to get constipated, smash yourself with laxatives, get constipated, smash yourself with laxatives. If you could just take regularly or focus on your the fibre and fluid in your diet and keep a consistent stool, that would be best to – because your body is going to do a lot of healing. We just have to give it the opportunity to heal. Hmm. I've um just I've heard people say, well, I've seen people say in some like mothers groups forums that I'm in that they prefer to do a C-section because it's less damage on the pelvic floor. Is that true, or is it like you're still carrying a baby? Yeah. <laughs> is it, yeah. Is a C-section a little bit less, or is it? All, oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, so definitely, your risk of pelvic floor issues long term is highest if you've had a vaginal birth. And even higher if you've had an instrumental vaginal birth or significant pelvic floor trauma during a vaginal birth. Mm-hmm. And the significant pelvic floor trauma would be an obstetric anal sphincter injury, so like a third or fourth degree tear extending into the anus, or what we call a muscle avulsion, so where some of the muscle comes off the bone or tears mm-hmm. and doesn't doesn't reheal or can reconnect. And we would call that a muscle avulsion. It can happen in other places in the body, but it can also happen in the pelvic floor during a vaginal birth, which can't happen if you have a cesarean. So you're definitely more at risk if you have a vaginal birth, um, but cesareans don't come, you know, pregnancy in a cesarean doesn't come without its risks to pelvic floor health long in the future anyway. Yeah. Um, how soon after should you go and see, um, yeah, pelvic physio, women's health physio? So we say as soon as you want, if you're mm-hmm. if you're nervous, lots of women reach out at three weeks and they're stressed out by this feeling of vaginal heaviness or um, they're making themselves anxious because they have this symptom of vaginal heaviness, which if you're listening is very common um, in the apps. If you Google vaginal heaviness, the first thing that pops up is prolapse. You have a prolapse diagnosis and, mm-hmm. you know, 
in the absence of a prolapse diagnosis, you can still have vaginal heaviness and it's very common to feel heavy in the vagina after mm. your vaginal birth. Um, so a lot of what we do in those first few weeks is usually just phone calls from patients that want to get in ASAP, but we need to reassure them that everything's okay. Mm. Um, we would see you sooner if you had something like an obstetric anal sphincter injury or you know urinary retention post-birth, which meant you still had a catheter in seven days after having a baby. But all of those things would usually be managed by your hospital physio. Yeah. If you just have a standard birth, whether it be a cesarean or a vaginal birth, we would want to see women around that six to 12 weeks mark. Mm. Yeah, I feel like it's so interesting speaking to you as well, because with my C-section, because I was kind of aware of um, yeah pelvic health and stuff with my first, and I book, tried to book in with the hospital around six weeks. They said that that was a service that they offered. And then the reception lady was like super rude. And she was like, oh, but did you do you have any problems with your pelvic floor? And I was like, oh, I don't think so but I just like wanted to get checked because I don't know and she was like oh well you don't need the appointment then like we're really busy like you wouldn't get one for another six weeks anyway and if you're all good just go home you're fine and I was just like oh (laughs) and so there's like it's just like such a shock but I feel like booking with someone like you privately or if your GP doesn't recommend it I don't know what what are your thoughts on that like is it still good to get checked out or (laughs) 100% so in an ideal world you think about how much how much trauma and stress happens to the female body during nine months of pregnancy and then childbirth, regardless of how you birthed your child, there's so much stress on your body. And there's so many things we do check as a women's health physio between those six and 12 weeks. Um, It's just a sad, it's, it's an unfortunate way that our system is working at the moment from a public health point of view, because we're still, we're chasing our tail from a treatment point of view and we should be, pushing from a prevention point of view and it's definitely lack of human resources and funding which um, lots of lots of physios in our area are trying to change you know there's a big push for in our industry particularly in New South Wales to try and change to a Medicare funded women's health physiotherapy checkup regardless if you have problems or not but the ugly nature of it at the moment is the only time you would really see a physiotherapist if you don't reach out to one privately is if you have a significant trauma in your birth. So you would have to, you know, have a very severe pelvic floor tear um, or significant symptoms after having a baby to be able to see a physio publicly, mm. which is um, it's not ideal. It's not the way we want the system to work, but, you know, mm. it is what it is at the moment. What yeah. ideally we would like to do at that six to 12 weeks is um, check, screen your pelvic floor symptoms so screen for your bladder and bowel symptoms screen for sexual dysfunction symptoms screen you from before if you haven't seen a physio prior to having a baby and then if you've had a cesarean we would check your abdominal tummy you would check your tummy muscles we check how you're breathing how you're moving what your back and your pelvis is doing we'd help you with your scar rehab mm-hmm. um, knowing that the scar goes through so many layers of tissue we would teach you about scar massage and how to make sure that that's that scar tissue doesn't adhere to anything else and make things mm. more difficult in the future. Mm. Um, we might check your pelvic floor if you have symptoms, but if you're absent of symptoms, then we can um, screen that out without doing an internal exam, we would. But if mm. you've had a vaginal birth, we'd definitely be screening via an internal exam your pelvic floor, checking to see other muscles intact, what do they do at rest, can you squeeze them, can you relax them, how strongly can you squeeze them? And then a big, long discussion around what your goals are do you want to get back into running marathons? Do you want to do fun runs? Do you just want to muck around with your kids on the trampoline or do you want to do CrossFit? Mm-hmm. Um, and depending on what your goals are, we would help decide the best treatment strategies and what your ladder would look like to get back to that point. 
Mm, yeah, that's so good because I just feel like all of that gets missed. Even like I had seven days in the hospital and no one came to speak to me about any of that stuff about my scar yeah. or anything. And it's just like the scar felt so creepy for like the first six to 12 months. And it's only just now I'm like, okay, it still feels a bit weird, but it's like, okay now. And I've heard so many people say the same thing that their scar is just so sensitive. And yeah, it's just really interesting that you go over all that thing. Yeah. With the women's uh, physio. Fingers crossed the, um, the environment changes in the future and people get more access to awesome mm. postpartum care because we know the impact it can have on like, you know, particularly your scar or just your mental health. Like mm. if we we can help with all these things and get you back to being physically active and pain free, mm. if we don't, nobody else is intervening. Your GP is sort of giving you a seven minute appointment at six months, six weeks postpartum. Mm. But we know that, you know, if your mental health and you're in, if you've got poor mental health and you're in pain, you're less likely to participate in physical activity long term. It's going to affect your quality of life from lots of aspects. If we could just intervene early, prevent all this happening, we could possibly improve women's um, mental health at 12 months postpartum. We could increase physical activity in our mums at 12 months postpartum. Like there's all of these benefits that we could get, but we just... Yeah, we're trying. We're pushing. We're pushing the ball. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we mentioned prolapse before. So how common is a prolapse, and what are the signs? So the incidence of prolapse is a hard one to answer because we you know in order to find the incidence of something in a population, any type of condition or um, medical diagnosis, we need to look at what the research says about. You know, they've looked at massive cohorts of women. But then when you get these numbers, you have to question, well, what was the cohort like and how did they diagnose prolapse? So in the last, so a prolapse refers to, if we talk about pelvic organ prolapse, it's like a hernia of the pelvis. So Mm -hmm. either your bladder, your uterus or your bowel can start to fall down into the vaginal opening and that would be considered a vaginal prolapse. And uh, and we grade that depending on how much descent is happening um, and you have your bladder, your uterus or vagina and your bowel touching each other in the pelvis normally. So we now refer to prolapse as a front wall prolapse of the vagina and that would be the bladder coming down, a uterine prolapse and that would be the uterus coming down into the vagina and a bowel prolapse and that would a back wall prolapse and that would be the bowel pushing into the into the vagina. The way you would feel that or the biggest symptom of that is a vaginal heaviness or feeling like something is sitting in the vagina or a bulge that you can see or feel. You can still have the symptom of heaviness without having a prolapse. So I think that's important to know. Um, And the way we diagnose prolapse and how we assess prolapse is changed in the last five years. And that's probably why the research is a bit still not clear on how common prolapse is, because some studies will say prolapse is is common or we see prolapse in more than one in two women who have had a baby. So that's more than 50% of women having a vaginal prolapse. But I actually think that might be an overrepresentation based on a a, um, a diagnostic protocol that was a little bit old school. It's more likely one in five, I would say, but still a very high number of women experiencing some degree of vaginal prolapse after ha- having a baby. And so, what does it? Is it something that will go back to normal itself, or you definitely need to have help? Like, how does that all work? Yeah. So it can, we can have spontaneous resolution or improvement of pelvic organ prolapse over time after having a baby as your central organs and your connective tissue starts to become more firm and tighter. And that happens across the first two years after having a baby or around 18 months. Mm -hmm. Um, But you don't have to, prolapse isn't just happening in women who have had kids. Um, We see kids with prolapses. 
Um, we see young adults, young women, we see athletes with prolapses in the absence of having kids. Um, we see elderly women with prolapse who have never been pregnant before. So prolapse can happen to anybody. It's just very common because of the pressure and the stress on the pelvic floor in this period of time Ooh, for pregnant women. If you've had it in your first pregnancy and then you're like terrified to get pregnant again, is it like, will you be able to still have a nice pregnancy and maybe not experience prolapse again or yeah what is it what do you do with that is it best to see someone straight away or yeah so prolapse symptoms are very common in pregnancies usually after multiple pregnancies but if you've had a prolapse symptom or you've um you do currently struggle with prolapse and then you fall pregnant again uh, we can't say for certain will your prolapse worsen or will you get symptoms it's likely that you will get symptoms but we can't guarantee that it's going to worsen we know that there's going to be a lot of stress on the pelvic floor so we have to offload that stress so we would just work with women to try and do everything we can to reduce her symptoms, so what she feels, and to reduce the chances of that worsening. So we talk about things like managing weight gain in her pregnancy, managing her constipation, so the two biggest risk factors for prolapse and pelvic floor dysfunction. Mm. We might help support things from underneath, so she might wear a compression garment or a strap, looks mm. like a really sexy G-string um, that comes around the front and really holds everything up from the front um, mm. to help with her symptoms. We might talk about spending less time on your feet and standing and reducing your loading. So, you know, if you're a CrossFit athlete, we might look at reducing some of your loading in your pregnancy to reduce the risk of that worsening. So it would be more um, case by case in terms of the advice and what we tell women. Mm. Um, but lots of women that I treat have prolapses go on to have another baby have more vaginal births and are okay and other women choose to not have another pregnancy or to have another pregnancy but then have a cesarean to reduce the likelihood that it might worsen with a vaginal birth mm, okay interesting i think one of the main um like one of the common things i see as well with mums is leaking urine or urine incontinence is that yeah how can, what can we do like why does that happen and what can we do to prevent that from happening yeah so urinary incontinence and prolapse are both symptoms or signs of pelvic floor muscle dysfunction so you've got this umbrella term of like this pelvic floor not working very well and one of them can be prolapse and one of them can be incontinence and we can leak for lots of reasons um, one of them being your pelvic floor is weak but there are lots of reasons why women would leak not because of pelvic floor weakness so you might just have a weak pelvic floor and you might have stress incontinence, which is leaking when you put stress on the bladder, physical stress, like cough, sneeze, laugh, jump. And that might be purely because of weakness of the pelvic floor. Okay. Or it might be because your pelvic floor is too tight and it can't function properly. And so you're also experiencing leaking, but not because of it's actually too tight, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so treatment would look a little bit different. You can leak urine because the bladder or the bladder neck or the urethra, so where the wee comes out, like we call it the hose, mm -hmm. it's moving too much. Um, you might have urinary incontinence just because of the bladder falling down, like a prolapse. You might have urinary incontinence, which is leaking whilst you're running to the toilet, so on the way to the toilet, and we call that mm -hmm. urgency or urge urinary incontinence. So lots of different types, and that might be because of pelvic floor weakness. It might be because your bladder is overactive. There might be lots of reasons why you could be leaking. Mm. So it was, we used to always just say, you have incontinence, you leak urine, do pelvic floor exercises. Mm. But we know that it's more complex than that, and it's more on a case-by-case -case basis. So mm. what I really love about my job is that we can sort of be like a detective, and it's not just everybody gets the same treatment. A patient comes in and I have to work out, A, what type of incontinence they have, but B, why do they have that incontinence? So what is it about this person's presentation that's making them leak? And then how can we 
how can we improve that? Sometimes people are just so tight through their rib cage and their tummy and they're putting so much pressure through squeezing their abs because they're sucking their belly in that they're putting too much pressure on their pelvic floor. So it's not a problem with their pelvis at all. It's actually higher up. And if we changed how they did an exercise, they would be fine. Yeah. Okay. So interesting. There's so many, so many like elements to it. <laughs> yes. Um, so anyone who wants to return to exercise after having a baby, I find this one really interesting because, you know, you hear you go to your six week appointment and you get the all clear to exercise. Even having a C-section, I got the all clear at six weeks and I just felt like I was not ready until I don't think I even tried to exercise until six months. Um, what is your thoughts on exercising after birth and what exercises should we start with? Yes, I always say that exercise after having a baby, it's like a stepladder. So it's going to where you you always have to start at the bottom, whether or not you start it, you wait six months because you've got lots going on or you're suffering from postnatal depression and you just can't physically, like you're not in the space to get into exercise. Um, or if you start at six weeks, you still have to start at the bottom of the ladder um, and that first step. And that first step should always be pelvic floor and core and breath work. So you should also, you should first work on rectifying the things that got overstretched or stressed or weakened by the pregnancy. So your abs, how you breathe, your rib cage, your pelvic floor. So work on engaging and learning how to use those muscles again in a way that is going to be different than before you had your baby or before you were pregnant. Mm. And then targeting at that point anything that you need to target that's impacting you. You might be suffering from upper back pain because you're breastfeeding every two hours in the middle of the night and your your back and neck is stiff. You might be suffering from pelvic girdle pain from your pregnancy. You might be leaking urine. You might have had a traumatic vaginal birth. So you'd be doing all your rehab around what's happening for your body at that first step. Mm-hmm. And then you build, right? You add in a little bit of low intensity cardio. So you might be adding in short walks that gradually get bigger and bigger. You might be doing body weight exercises like squats and lunges and push-ups and on your knees. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, I always talk about that second step being you sort of want to mimic a Pilates type mm-hmm. style workout because that would be safe for you, but also build strength and allow you to have the building blocks to then progress to your next ste- stage. Mm-hmm. And then the next stage might look like adding a little, little bit more cardio. You might swim or row or ride a bike. Um, and then after that, you can start to build on that with um, loading if that's your goal. So resistance mm-hmm. training and weightlifting and then high impact box jumps, running, jumping, mm-hmm. changing direction, sport specific drills. So you can see how it's you can imagine that step ladder, mm-hmm. but you need those building those really good building blocks. And lots of people think that, you know, as women's health physios, yes, we're trying to prevent issues like pelvic organ prolapse be- because of going back to exercise too early. But one of the biggest things that people forget is more about making sure that your body is functioning the best it can or that we're trying to avoid injury other places because, mm. you know, you're sleep deprived. You, if you're breastfeeding, your energy um, expenditure is quite high. You might not be eating enough to match both breastfeeding and being physically active. And if you're not meeting the rest and recovery guidelines then and then you're stressing your body out with physical exercise and you put your body at risk of injury for yeah. lo- in lots of ways. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. That's so good to know as well. Yeah. I like the ladder analogy. (laughs) Um, Awesome. Well, thank you for joining me today, Caitlin. I have loved this chat. I feel like it's going to be so helpful for anyone who's pregnant, especially I find that getting the appointment with the physio while you're pregnant that, yeah, that's really yeah good to know. Um, How can people find you? What is your website or Instagram? And are you offering any services while you're having a baby? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, so I am Pelvic Floor with Caitlin at 
on Instagram. So if you wanted to follow my current pregnancy journey and my birth and my recovery, which hopefully I'll be very transparent about over the next coming weeks and months, um, you can follow me on Instagram at Pelvic Floor with Caitlin. I have a website called thepelvicfloorproject.com. And so you can find free information on the pelvic floor, information about how to squeeze and relax. Um, and in the coming weeks, I will have a, um, a online. So at the moment, you can work with me virtually or face to face. But I will be taking maternity leave from seeing clients one to one for um, a period of time. I'm not sure how long that is, but watch the space. Um, but you have access to a 12 week pelvic floor muscle training program, which is on my website. It's a PDF. You can just download it and look at it. Um, however, that is has already been turned into. I'm just trialing it with a few women currently, um, but a a 12 week online learning platform where you get to listen and to me speak um, face to face. We go through teaching pelvic floor through videos and then a 12 week video series of exercises for pelvic floor muscle dysfunction. So if you're somebody that has been told you need to do pelvic floor exercises and you want to work with somebody, but you don't have access to somebody um, face to face, that would be your option. And that's all going to be up on the website and, and all over my Instagram. So yeah, watch on as, as the journey unfolds awesome well yeah good luck with your birth and everything and yeah I, I can't wait to watch it all unfold as well so thank you for joining me that's okay thanks amy